Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. And it's so good to have you here today. Love that video just now. And welcome to everybody at the Battersea site on its reopening launch date today. Welcome to everybody that's here online as well. And to hear the people that are here in person and um, wherever you are, if you're meeting groups of six, like welcome today. At the beginning of 2020, I really felt as though my word for the year and the word for the church actually was simplify. And I really wasn't prepared for what that actually would mean, like the rugs being pulled out completely from under our feet. And we've had to simplify so many things. But I just want us to go back to the heart of the gospel, uh, to simplify what it's all about. There's a verse in the New Testament in 1 John 4.19, which is simply this. We love him because he first loved us. Why don't you just say that with me? We love him because he first loved us. And this is the heart of the good news. We love because we're loved. And what I've asked uh, the lovely Courtney to do is to come and read us a passage from Luke 7. So... Get ready for the amazing Courtney to come and read this passage. Dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she had poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as, as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven, little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. 
Thanks so much, Courtney. Beautifully, beautifully read. I love this story. It's one of my favourite um, in the Bible. And I remember reading this story at a certain point in my life and thinking, yeah, that's me. I'm Simon. And I, I was assuming that I had very little to be forgiven. And if I'm honest, I didn't really feel as though I loved Jesus very much. And uh, I didn't really feel as though I felt the weight of my sin. And I remember thinking, I wonder what that would be like. I wonder what that would be like to really mess up um, and then to know how forgiven I am and therefore to know and love Jesus more than I do. And kids, don't try this at home. But fast forward a couple of months, and I did just that. I really messed up, and I hurt a lot of people around me. And yet in that time, I experienced the kindness and the grace of God like never before. There's a verse in Romans 2 which says that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. And Jesus' kindness to me, along with my family and my friends' kindness to me, made me kind of come to my senses and do a complete 180. And this is the same for all of us. The reality was that I was always in need of total forgiveness, whether or not I'd messed up a tiny bit or a massive amount. So I want to unpack this story a little bit more in, in a little bit more detail with a little bit of help from one of my heroes, Tim Keller. He's a pastor, a theologian, an author from um, New York. And he suggests that this story is actually labelled incorrectly. I don't know whether you've got it in your Bibles at all, but normally in your Bibles it says Jesus and the sinful woman. And actually, I think it's about an encounter with two people. Because in, in verse 40, he turns to Simon, and in verse 48, he turns to the woman. And I want to contrast um, these two people and these two people that, had, that came to Jesus. There's a couple of little things that helps to know from the culture uh, back then, just to help you understand what's going on. First of all, we have Simon, and he's a Pharisee, and he's a member of the religious and cultural elite. And he's invited Jesus to a public banquet, a formal banquet. And I want you to have a picture of what was going on here. So it wasn't like um, a banquet nowadays. First of all, no one's feet were under the table. And at a, ban a banquet like this, everyone was like laying on a couch, like up on one elbow, head towards the, the table where they were eating, and then their feet stretched out and sandals off. The second thing is that when you had a kind of formal banquet like this, there would have been lots of people walking around, um, not just the servants waiting on the table, but actually people from the street. The public could come into a banquet like this at a major home, and they could watch what was being served and actually like, listen to what was being said in the conversation. And that was all part of the way that it was done um, back in that culture. And so it was highly likely that the woman may not have been noticed at first when she approached Jesus. And she's about to do something. She's about to pour perfume on his feet. But if you look at the way it tells us the story, we're told that before she could do that, something happened to her. Before she had the chance to do what she wanted to do with the perfume, she just found herself standing at his feet and weeping, just overwhelmed with emotion. And we're told that she began to wet his feet. And that might have been the first time that Jesus would have actually noticed her there basically because he felt her tears. And he turns, and probably at that point, everybody turns. And instead of running away, she kneels down and she undoes her hair 
And as we'll talk later on, no woman would have undone their hair in public. But she dries her feet with her hair, dries his feet with her hair, and then kisses his feet, and then puts on perfume. And we see that the woman is interested in Jesus. We see that the woman wants to meet Jesus. We see that she's seeking Jesus. But the text also tells us that Simon, the Pharisee, really wanted Jesus as well. And we're told in verse 36 that he invited Jesus to dinner. And Simon was a Pharisee. And they, the Pharisees were a class of people that basically were utterly, violently opposed to Jesus. The only other Pharisee we know who came had a personal interview with Jesus was Nicodemus. And he came to see Jesus at nighttime. I don't know if any of you have watched The Chosen. Anyone see, been watching The Chosen at all? It's like a TV series that's been crowdfunded and it's on... Um, Lucy's watched it, it's brilliant it's just a really great depiction of the life of Jesus and they talk about Nicodemus and they show just how difficult it would have been for a Pharisee in those days to actually approach Jesus but Simon he welcomes him so he actually invites him to a banquet to a formal banquet and in those days if you invited somebody to a meal you were inviting somebody into a relationship and so Simon was clearly interested. He was clearly willing. And he braved the scorn and the disdain and the opposition of his family and friends. He was a serious seeker and she was a serious seeker. But we see at the end that Jesus rebukes him and rejects him, but he welcomes her. So what's the difference and why is there a difference? So in the beginning, we see that they respond to Jesus in two different ways. And in the middle, we see through the parable that Jesus explains that the two responses to him derive from very different understandings of him. And then at the very end, we see that the two different understandings of Jesus result in Jesus giving very different responses. So first of all, Simon's approach is just a very intellectual one. It's a detached one. He's coming at Jesus like with his head. But the woman comes with her whole life. He's coming in intellectually, she's coming in personally. So Simon is thinking, for example, as soon as she touches Jesus, he's thinking, if this man was a prophet, he would know who's touching him. He'd know that she was a prostitute. He'd know that he was a sinner. she was a sinner. And he's saying, if this is a holy, divine man, either he doesn't know who she is, which means he's not divine, or he does, and he's letting her touch him, which means he's not pure. And therefore, one way or the other, he's not holy. So he's like thinking all that through. And yet what she does when she comes is that she immediately gets personal. Her whole self is involved. And Jesus turns to Simon, and I'd love to, I'd love to have been a fly on the wall, but he says to Simon, Simon, she wept over me. She hugged me. She kissed me. She anointed me. And you can imagine Simon sitting there going, oh, you want me to hug you? You want me to kiss you? You want me to weep over you? And Jesus is like, yeah. And what he's going after is Simon's impersonal religion. And Simon obviously doesn't expect it to be anything like that. I came across this quote the other day from some people who were interviewed, and they were asked to tell the interviewer what their problems were with Christianity. And uh, although they were from New York, I would imagine that it would be very similar um, if people were interviewed in London. 
Um, one person said, the problem I have with Christianity is that Christians focus so much on Jesus rather than on the message or the example that he set. By focusing on Jesus, I think it excludes other religions and other people from having a relationship with God. And that really bothers me. I'm not sure about Jesus or what level he was. We should learn from him, but Christians can't seem to separate Jesus' message from the messenger. But I do. That was the guy that was interviewed. And I think this is really common, um, where people want to separate the message from the messenger. I think it might even be that some of you listening today may be saying, that's what I think. What's really important is not the person of Jesus, the messenger. What's really important is not to worship him, although you can if you want. You know, you do you. But the really vital, essential thing is that if you must live according to his way, according to his example, according to his loving approach. And it doesn't matter what you believe about Jesus. What really matters is that you're a good person. But Jesus, right here in this, in this story, does exactly the opposite. He says exactly the opposite. It's not just a little bit different. He actually says it doesn't actually matter what type of person you are, whether you're a good person. What really matters is that you believe in me, that you love me, that you have a wildly passionate personal encounter with me. And it's the exact opposite. It's not the way that that nice person who was interviewed said, or the average Londoner said, it doesn't really matter what you believe about Jesus as long as you're a good person. He says that doesn't matter. He says it's whether you have this personal relationship with me. Doesn't, you know, when, when you say it doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you're good, what you've just created is a religion without tears or without touching. And you see what really freaks Simon out, I, I reckon, is that she's touching him. And Simon says, I don't want a religion that's a touching religion. He says, I want a discussion. I don't want to have a personal, passionate relationship with this one individual. I want to know what's the best way to live. So Simon comes intellectually. Simon comes in a detached way. Simon wants a discussion, but she wants a relationship. So the second thing, the second response, I love this bit, is that we're told that she came with an alabaster jar of perfume. And this was a very specific thing. An alabaster jar, it was a small flask of perfume, and it had a very long, skinny neck. And the neck made it almost impossible for it actually to be poured out. It was so narrow, but you could smell it. And most women wore them around their necks, and it was like this incredible accessory of fragrance and beauty. And um, in that culture, the smell of a woman made her very attractive and very desirable. But if you ever wanted to pour it out, you had to break the neck. And then once you poured it out, it was useless. And so you see what she's doing here. I mean, economically, it would have been so expensive, probably for a socially a single socially marginalized person, a prostitute to do this, this was probably the most precious thing that she had in her life, and she lays it at Jesus' feet. But she wasn't just making a financial sacrifice. This was, the, this was like her, the only power that she had. So, I mean, what does a prostitute have in a world like that? Her only capital, her only power, her only leverage in life was her desirability and her attractiveness. 
and she takes it off and she breaks it and she pours it out. And what she's saying here is if you are who you say you are, that changes everything. I give you everything that I am. I give you everything that I have. Like, take my love, which I pour at your feet. Take myself. And, and guys, if Jesus is who he says he is, that changes everything. I don't want to do anything to displease him. I, I want to live wholly different. I want to live completely different for him. It's just I, I have to live for you. And I think you have these two choices. You can either go Simon's way or you can go the woman's way. You can say, well, I'm interested in Jesus, but don't really want to change my life. I don't really want to change my position. I don't really want to change my life goals. You know, I'd like to come to Jesus. I'd like peace and power. But does that mean I'm going to have to change this or give up that? When somebody sits there and says, before I find out who Jesus is, is and I already know how my life is going to go and I don't want to change that. Jesus says, come back when you're serious. Ouch. But the woman he welcomes because she says, take my love. You know, at my feet, I pour, at your feet, I pour out my treasure. Those are the two different responses one of them comes detached and the other realizes that this isn't academic. One of them comes with conditions and the other one says, if you are who you say you are, you get everything. And you see the difference. Even though Simon's seeking, he's not actually that open. He's not ready to surrender everything. Now, why are these two people responding to Jesus so differently? Jesus tells this tiny little parable, doesn't he, in the middle, which completely shows the difference between the two people. Because um, it's like the different actions towards Jesus. They come from these different understandings of him. And I'll just go through it very, very briefly. But he says, Simon, I've got something to tell you. Two men owed money to the same person. One owed 500 denarii, one owed 50. Neither had the money to pay him back. He cancelled the debts of both. Which of them will love him more. And the first thing he's trying to show Simon is that Simon doesn't understand like the woman understands his need for a saviour. And what's so brilliant here is these two people, they both owe money, but they can't pay the money. And if they can't pay, they're going to lose everything. And in those days, if you didn't pay, you went to prison. It didn't matter if you owed 10 million to your creditors or 10,000, the creditors are going to get you. And excuse this analogy, but it's a little bit like a spider comes in and bites you in your sleep. Probably more in Australia, actually, than here. And so you don't wake up, you die. Or a lion comes in and completely mauls you, decapitates you, bites off your head. Which of those two people is more dead? That's what Jesus is trying to say. Which is more dead? One is pretty dead. And the other is ugly dead, but they're both dead. And Simon is pretty dead. Simon's the person with the 50 debt, and the woman's the person with the high 500 debt. And that's how Jesus is drawing this. Simon has a, led a nice life, a very moral life, a very respectable life. The woman has led a very broken life and a very messed up life. But he's saying it doesn't actually matter. 
you're both lost. Simon's religion says, I don't need a message. I, need a, I don't need a messenger. I need a message. I need a path. Show me what to do. I want your teaching, but not you. I want an impersonal relationship because I can save myself. I can do it. And Jesus in this parable says, you have to see whether you're religious or irreligious, you're lost and you need a saviour. The, the Bible says that sin is so much more than breaking the rules. There's a, there's a bottom line rule, I think, which is this. There's a God and you're not him. Pretty much sums up the whole Bible. There's a God and you're not him. And what that means is that religious people are trying to be their own saviour. They're trying to control their lives. They're trying to be their own God by doing the right thing. I can be good enough. And irreligious people and pagan people, we would say, they're trying to be their own God by flouting the rules. But they're both sinning. They're both lost. One's pretty dead and one's ugly dead, but they're both dead. And Jesus says the trouble with Simon, the reason he wants an impersonal God, like that nice interviewed person was saying, that actually underneath that premise is this unwillingness to actually admit that they're not okay. And I don't know about you, but probably most of your friends will probably think, yeah, I'm not that flawed. I'm not that bad. Not like so-and-so. And Jesus goes after that. And he says, that's, that's the reason for this Simon religion. And that's where I was. I didn't see my need. I didn't see my need of a saviour. And you don't see that you can't actually pay. You don't see that you're as lost as the other person. You don't see that it doesn't matter that the other person's got 10 times more sin in their life. That together you're lost. You're really no different when it comes right down to it. And then the other thing that he doesn't realise, the other thing that the, the woman knows intuitively and Simon doesn't, is the cost. Uh, salvation here, it's seen as forgiveness of a debt. And forgiveness always means that somebody pays. Just means that the debtor doesn't pay sometimes, but the creditor still has to. A thousand pound debt doesn't just go into midair. Either the person who owes it pays it, or the person who it's owed to absorbs it. And Jesus is trying to say that the only way for anyone to know God is if I pay your debt. And Simon has no concept of that. And you see, if anyone who says, let's separate the message from the messenger in this Simon religion kind of way, it shows that you don't have any real concept of the cost. If you, if you don't come to God through Jesus, then you may just have this impersonal religion where there's no cost and there's nothing personal. There's no weeping. There's no transformation. There's no joy. And then lastly, finally, what, what happens at the end is because of the two responses and the reactions to Jesus, Simon gets something and the woman gets something. Simon gets a seminar. He gets an academic experience. He gets a discussion, but ultimately he gets a cold shoulder and Jesus turns away. And what does the woman get? She gets so much. And first of all, she gets an ability to love that she didn't have before. And see, what it's really saying is that your love, how much you love, is a response to how deeply forgiven you feel yourself to be. And what he's saying is the reason she's got this ability to love now is because she's seen how forgiven she's been. 
It's just a remarkable principle. It's saying like your ability to love people is to do with how deeply you see your own debt and how deeply you see yourself to be forgiven. And if you, if you don't see yourself like this, it's very difficult to love other people. If you see your debt as little, then the size of the debt that Jesus has covered would determine how much you can forgive and love people. It's just, it's a principle which is amazing. And she has it. She has this ability to love. She also doesn't care what people think. You see, when everybody turns around, she lets her hair down. And in those days, if a woman let her hair down in public, the rabbi said that that was grounds for divorce. There was so much shame because it, it meant like you were vulnerable and you were open. Even today, if you watch a movie and the woman takes her down her hair, you, everyone knows what that's going to mean. If there's a guy there, they're just about to make love. But it means I'm vulnerable, I'm open. And the point is that letting your hair down means I surrender. And that's what it meant in that culture. And when she did it, when she did this outrageous action, at the very same moment that she was surrendering to Jesus, she was showing an unbelievable amount of courage because she didn't run. She didn't actually care what people thought at that point. It's almost like ironic because like, by giving up power, she got power. By surrendering to Jesus, she found that she never has to surrender to other people's opinions of her again. And then finally, he says to her, go in peace. Your life will be an adventure of peace. And the more you see your debt and the more you see my grace, the more you'll be able to love. The more you let your hair down, the more you open yourself up to me, the more you'll be able to face anything else in life. The more power you give to me, the more power you will have towards everything else and everyone else. Go into peace. And so my challenge is it's quite hard-hitting. I feel like it's really simple, but it's actually quite hard-hitting, isn't it? It's like, do I actually love much? And my challenge this morning is, does anybody have any Simon religion in them? Do you have a bit of Simon in you? And Jesus says, look at this woman. That's what he says to Simon. He says, look at this woman. And this is the gospel, isn't it, where it's the, it's the marginalised that show us how to follow Jesus. So he says, look at this woman. And, you know, I don't know whether there are people here this morning or this afternoon, like, do we actually love like this woman? Do we realise how much we've been forgiven? Do we realise how much of a debt Jesus has paid? So we're going to worship together in a, 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 again, sort of as a response to this. And I just want us to pray and invite the Holy Spirit just to come in and show us, show us who we are to Jesus and it might be that this is the first time that you've ever surrendered your life to Jesus and just gone, do you know what? I can't do it. I can't actually do it. And there's such freedom in that. So let's just come, let's come close to God this morning. Let's, maybe you want to stand, maybe you want to kneel, but just like come towards Jesus, come towards his feet. And let's, let's just pray together this morning. Thank you, God. Thank you that the powerful are the powerless. Thank you that the powerless are the powerful. Thank you for the upside-downness of the kingdom and the inside-outness of it all. 
And we pray that the, the, the radicalness of this story just might come into our center the, today, come in and affect us, just as the understanding of who Jesus was affected this woman. We, we, just, we pray this morning that we would know how forgiven we are. And forgive us, God, when we don't see the weight of our, 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 the, the debt that you've paid for us. Thank you, Jesus, that you've made a complete way for us to be wholly accepted and, ho- and wholly loved. And just as a response to that, we just want to pour out our worship at your feet today. And we do just say, God, God, we give you everything because of what you've done for us. You're worth ripping off the alabaster jar and just breaking it at your feet. You're so worthy, Jesus, of all of our praise. And forgive us where we can get a bit like Simon and just think that we've got it all sorted and that we can do it. And we just want a lecture. We just want a seminar. But God, you are after a personal, intimate relationship with us this morning. Jesus, would you lead us into that? Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.